welcome to a Stable Life podcast. My name is Jennifer Connor. I'm an equine pharmaceutical rep, an owner, breeder, and rider, and I'm here with my co-host, Melinda Furco. Hello, everyone, and I am an equine nutrition consultant. I also am an owner and rider and have done many disciplines over the years, but currently I'm doing lower-level dressage. Welcome back, everyone. We have a special guest here this week. My good friend, Andy Broderick, is here with us to talk about equine nonprofits. Um, she kind of specializes in therapeutic riding and kind of that realm of the horse world. Andy and I met, oh boy, um, 2000, <laughs> what year was that? 2000, yeah, that's, that sounds right, about right. 2008-2009, Andy and I worked together at a therapeutic riding center called Pony Power Therapies in Mawa, New Jersey, and we've stayed in touch since. So we thought she'd be a great one to have on our show to talk about equine nonprofits. So Andy is the founder of Carriage Consulting, and she's also on the board at Horseability, which is a center for equine-facilitated programs out on Long Island. So welcome, Annie. Thanks for being here. Annie. Thank you. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. So let's get started. Um, you want to tell me a little bit about horseability? Because I actually know very little about horseability. Oh, sure. I'm happy to. Um, so horseability was founded by our current executive director, uh, Katie McGowan, back in 1992. Um, so they've been around for a long time, and they are one of the, the only premier accredited facilities uh, through PATH on Long Island. Uh, and PATH is the Professional Association of Therapeutic Horsemanship, which is international, formerly known as NARA. Um, and so Horseability began as a therapeutic riding facility, and they did have hippotherapy pretty early on as well, but have have really expanded out to be more all-encompassing in the therapeutic realm. So they are now, um, you know, the tagline is a center for equine-facilitated programs because they offer equine-facilitated psychotherapy, equine-assisted learning, therapeutic riding, therapeutic driving. Um, we've started a minor at the SUNY Old Westbury campus for therapeutic riding instruction. So it's a really beautiful, wonderful program on 20 acres on the Studio Westbury campus that has just been bursting at the seams um, as they grow. Have you seen a difference during COVID, uh, more people coming out and participating? Yeah, uh, we've actually had a huge shift in our program catalog, in our functioning. I mean, I think along with the rest of the world, COVID sort of rocked all of our plans and changed everything that we have had lined up where the course ability has really been hitting a stride and growing and just expanding in such beautiful and new ways. But this tested all of that. You know, we put everything to a halt in March, because March 16th of last year, shut down programming for the first time in 27 years mm -hmm. and did not reopen again until uh, the end of June. So that was tough. Uh, but a lot of our population was, medically compromised, you were fragile, and having to rely on, you can't social distance when you need a leader and two sidewalkers and your participant might not be able to wear a mask medically or cognitively. Um, so 
we had a lot of challenges to overcome in how to safely bring back programming, how to safely bring back volunteers, um, all of it. You know, it was a complete and total shift from what we had planned for the year. But it ended up being amazing. I mean, I think that, that they used it as an opportunity instead of a negative, uh, you know, limiting mindset. And they've had a, some really incredible months over the last few months. So overall, they're doing really well. It was just a matter of changing the focus. So, you know, where predominantly our spring series would have been booked with therapeutic riding sessions and hypotherapy. We did a lot more mini outreach with our miniature horses, going out to hospitals, supporting our frontline workers. We um, worked within our mission, which is always our driving principle. So the horse building mission is to improve the lives of individuals with special needs through facilitated interaction with horses. And a lot of time we would consider special needs to be physical or mental, um, you know, cognitive delays. But in this scenario, our first responders had special needs that they were really struggling. And, and hearing a lot of firsthand, we went out to the hospitals, we worked a lot with nurses and doctors, and paramedics, firefighters, uh, and even um, people that work in orgs um, that were just so overwhelmed on Long Island dealing with the New York population. So that was an incredible shift for us that has been so rewarding to be able to bring the gift of horses to these populations that completely fit within the mission, but we have not serving previously. Wow, I, I wouldn't even think about that because when I think about the barn and riding, what I think about is, oh, this is a great place to social distance. When, when you do have special needs, yeah, you would have to have sidewalkers and you can't social distance as well as you would. But it's great that you guys were able to spin that and include people who were on the front line. And yeah, they really did need that kind of help. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was, and especially in the beginning when we knew so little about what was going on, like a lot of our volunteers were in the same mindset of, you know, we can be completely distanced at the barn, but then if we had to completely set up all of our protocol on hand washing stations, sanitizing, and how do we manage, you know, we have individualized grooming supplies and clean lines for each horse, but how do we set a system in place to make sure that this is sanitized and clean and not cross-contaminating, even amongst our own staff. So it was it was a process. And uh, Jamie Thomas-Martin, who works in our office, um, she does our compliance for horseability. She was incredible on before we could welcome anyone back to the property. It was, they had to complete a full new video that they produced on where the hand-washing stations are, where the temperature checks are all of the protocol that we had to set in despite what the state was doing to make sure that we were doing right by our, our participants and our volunteers because I mean we have volunteers that are 13 and then we have a, a large population that are seniors so it was a lot to figure out and navigate but they did a really wonderful job. That's hard you're worrying about the well-being of your riders your volunteers and your horses that went from being in work to not being in work, and how did you guys handle that with the horses having time off? So we had a skeleton staff. We ended up furloughing uh, the majority of our staff that was not needed, like our program-based staff, because we didn't have programming for several months. Um, we had to keep on our barn manager, who was you know there, and, and we kept uh, 
it was a three staff rotation to make sure that the horses had everything that they needed, that they were turned out daily, that we were, you know, those that could be lunged were lunged, those that needed to be ridden were ridden, those that could really utilize uh, a bit of a break, uh, which Melinda, you know, too, in the therapeutic world, some of our guys are seniors and they're consistent and steady at ease no matter if they take a month off or if they're in consistent programming. They're not like show horses that necessarily need to be in a routine and a regimen. So right. a lot of us did get some, you know, well-deserved downtime and turnout and, and just take it easy for a couple months. And then obviously before we brought them back into programming, they got back into conditioning. But some of them were able to just take the downtime and some of them needed, um, you know, alternative forms of exercise to keep their minds going. But, right. Yeah, I think they definitely missed the volunteer uh, component, though, with lots of loving on them and, you know, being able to spend unending amounts of time. Some of them love it, some of them don't, you know, but, but it was... It was Just like the people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I heard you mention before hippotherapy. What is the difference between that and therapeutic riding? And I've also heard the term EGALA before. Yes. Um, so hippotherapy is steer, stop, walk, trot, canter. It's you're working on the exact same goals that you would be working in in a physical therapist's office or an occupational therapist's office. You're just doing it on horseback, utilizing the movement of the horse to incorporate um, incorporating that movement into your treatment goals. So you could be working on trunk control, you could be working on um, fine motor skills, gross motor skills, but that's all conducted by that therapist. Um, and those are typically 30-minute sessions. With horseability, typically our more physically involved clients are in hippotherapy. And Whereas, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Um, no? The therapists, now are they hired by horseability or are they their own therapists that they bring into horseability? So they are independent contractors. That's okay. the way that horseability works with it. Some places do have resident in-house uh, therapists. We have, believe it's seven um, therapists that work in our HIPPO program, um, but, and they run seven days a week, uh, but they are independent contractors. So they process the finances, you know, they bill their clients directly, they can go through insurance, um, they don't have to, and then they reimburse horseability for their horse use fee, facility use fee, volunteer booking, that, that type. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's, that's and then um, therapeutic riding is you're working towards riding skills. So you can have, you know, actually horseability runs a bazaar as well. That's the Long Island Horse Show Series for Riders with Disabilities. And so we have therapeutic riding clients that are completely aided, meaning they need a lead walker, and two sidewalkers and support to keep them centered and, you know, a lot of one-on-one -on -one guidance to ride. That might be hand-over-hand -hand for steering or helping them, you know, to get their horse to move forward. But we also have riders that if you go all the way to completely independent walk, truck, canter, and jump that are therapeutic riders as well. So it's a totally varied um, sport, you know, where you can be really independent or really assistant, uh, which is, I love that. Well, the Lassard final is always held at the Hampton Classic, and uh, we always sponsor that through Triple Crown. I have to say it's one of my favorite days at the Hampton Classic. I, I personally find such joy 
watching these riders, many I've seen year after year after year, and I feel like I know them. I often know, I, you know, I know the horse ability horses pretty intimately. And, uh, yeah, it's one of my favorite days at the Hampton Classic. So my company has actually sponsored the para reigning at Congress for a couple of years. And I've gone out and attended. It's really, it, it makes you feel good, right? Yeah. That they enjoy it so much and they do such a good job. Oh, they do a fantastic job. And, and Horse Ability does a great job bringing the horses there, um, which I think we should touch on. I think Annie can help us here. We talked about the horses head off and what you did to bring them back from COVID. When you're looking to take a horse into your program, what kind of attributes are you looking from this horse? Because I know a lot of people, I think, have under the misconception of, oh, my horse is lame. I'll just donate it to a therapeutic riding center, which is not what they're looking for. So can you just give us a little insight into what you'd be looking for for the ideal therapeutic horse? Yeah, I think temperament is always so important. I mean, every therapeutic riding facility that I've worked in and been affiliated with operates very differently. Like, even Linda, when we worked together, they moved to having a room, you know, that grouped and tagged all the horses. At Horse Ability, our volunteers do all of that. So they're highly trained by our staff, but you have to have a horse that's comfortable being handled by a wide gamut of people, you know, so that could be 13-year-olds that are hanging all over them, or it could be 68-year-olds that are hanging all over them, them, you know, so for us, our horses, the temperament is, first and foremost, they have to be like attention, affection, being handled, they they can't really come like one of the ones that I personally loved, um, which is never typically the best fit in therapeutic riding uh, facilities. But he had come from a show barn where he had one room, one handler, and, you know, his owner would come in a full service, hop on, ride, and hop off, and he could not tolerate being handled by so many different people. So I think that that definitely has to come into play. Um, being able to be groomed, you know, having the patience to let a variety of people figure it out with you. So... I think temperament is always first and foremost. And then a lot of it comes down to what the needs of the program are at that time. So, you know, I I find typically almost every therapeutic facility is looking for a horse that can wait there uh, and is not giant. So we've had and we currently have a large draft that is able to hold, you know, up to our 200-pound weight limit comfortably. But it is tough to sidewalk next to a draft horse. If you have a client that's larger and might not have, you know, extreme control over their body, you don't want them to be on an 18-hand horse that can comfortably carry them, but you can't support them as a sidewalker. So I think typically you want one that um, shorter, you know, so if you do have a program that needs a lot of assistance for your clients, that you can reach them and safely do an emergency just not as needed. so I think size and soundness is important. You know, like I said, facilities, a lot of them might only do on lead work, walk, some trot on the long sides where serviceably sound can get away with it. Horseability really promotes independence. So we have a lot of our therapeutic riding clients that are cantering independently. So we need a horse that can tolerate that. Um, and I think it also depends if you offer volunteer riding. So to me, temperament, first and foremost, confirmation. Um, and I would also say 
the movement is really important. So if you have a lot of ponies that have like a lot of trappy up and down kind of jolting movement, that's great for a rider that might have Down syndrome or is low tone where you're really kind of trying to invigorate the movement, get them bouncing around and sort of recentering themselves naturally. But then you also need to balance that herd with a really smoothly gated horse that if you have a client that might have CP or hypertension is really tight, you want to have them on a narrow horse that is able to sort of rock them into some relaxation. A trappy horse with a tight client would be worst case scenario. So you kind of have to look at the herd that you have and figure out the voids that you have. You know, what are the niches that you really need filled in that moment? So Reversibility is typically a short uh, weight carrier and some smoother um, walk, chalk, canter horses for our more independent riders that are pretty walk So when you have those horses and they, they're different and you know the different movements, do you work with the therapists to, to tell them what would be best for their clients? So our therapists go through the hippotherapy certification process and the bulk of our therapists either actively ride or they'll do in services where they'll sit on our horses. So also in hippo, it's almost always a surcingle and a thicker pad, like a bareback pad or even double western pad. So the client's getting way more input than if they have a saddle um, interfering with that. So our, our therapists will sit on the horses and see like, and I'm sure you guys know because you ride, a horse can be really deceiving, like a thoroughbred that might seem like they've got a really narrow barrel. You sit on them and you're like, oh wow, that is like a thigh master workout right now. This is totally different than I had expected by looking at them from the ground. So we really encourage them to sit on them and feel it. Like you can't always tell that a horse has a rotational movement until you're sitting on the bareback and feeling them. So they're always available for guidance if they need or if they're coming in with an issue and saying like, okay, this line's really tight and they're going to have a hard time straddling. You know, we might even have to start them sideways so they would have both legs on one side um, and someone would be supporting their back on the off side. And what horse is going to tolerate that? You know, so they do consult with us as much as needed, but we were incredibly lucky with the therapists that are on staff that, that they do a lot of their own research as well. Oh, that's that's interesting. That's that's good that they're that involved and can understand it. And that yeah, I, ride. that's something I love with horse ability. Also, they actually offer volunteer riding and encourage our instructors to ride actively each week as well. So you're familiar with the horses. Like it ends up benefiting the program overall by having our volunteers take weekly riding lessons and learn, you know, the horses in, in a different way as well as developing their own skills. It just makes them further invested in the program and more educated. So we definitely encourage that across the board. And do the volunteers get certified as well as instructors or are they just free to volunteer? So they, uh, we offer a lot of like, education is a huge component of horse abilities, like vision and mission. So we offer um, path on-site workshops for people that do want to get certified to be a certified therapeutic riding instructor, but our volunteers all have to go through a pretty rigorous training schedule. So you'll come in and do a volunteer education um, just to be on the property. You'll be partnered with a, a mentor volunteer. 
you learn how to groom, how to tack, and how to sidewalk first. But you might, you're not going to be an independent groomer and tacker until you become more experienced. And then they, they work with a sticker system to um, clearly identify at what, you know, what level you've been trained as a volunteer. So it takes a certain amount of time and training to become a lead walker in a program. Our courses are all categorized as like the green, orange, and red level of who can essentially be led with no assistance, who might be a little bit more challenging to lead, um, and then our volunteers are categorized the same way. So we know who we can send out to the barn to groom and tack, who, and every horse has their own set of equipment, their own, you know, everything. And then um, volunteers receive training to as much as they want um, to be able to be certified, you know, in our course ability levels of volunteer training. Do you guys have driving? You know I'm a standard bread girl, so I have to ask that question. <laughs> yes, um, so we do have driving. We have driving, actually, Robbie Siegelman that I think we were just speaking about. Yes. He's been a standard bread trainer for, I don't know, 40 years, maybe? Yeah. <laughs> um, incredible and he is one of our best volunteers and he's literally there at least six hours a day every single day uh, and he does driving so he brought one of his mares off the track she was three when she came to horse ability and she just had no interest in racing uh, her <laughs> and she is one of the most mellow i think now she's probably eight or nine uh, but super mellow so he brought her and he started the driving program um, and now it's expanded beyond Genie to one mini elf, and he's working on starting two of our other minis that are overweight and need an exercise program. So <laughs> there, it's awesome. Um, so we, you know, he does a lot with our veterans. He does a lot with our our volunteers. Can also take driving lessons with Robbie and some of our clients as well. But with COVID, it's been a little bit trickier because of distancing. Typically, yeah. he sits in a two-seater cart, yeah. um, so he hasn't been doing that through COVID, but he will have Elf, one of the minis, that has a single-seat sulky, um, and then he'll have a second set of reins, and he'll walk next to them. Oh. So that he's going to Yeah. That's nice. Yeah. Do you have any other standard breads in the program besides one? Um, we have in the past. In this moment, there might be one or two. Um, I have to go back and look. I don't. I'm just curious because I had talked to an, another program at one point about a horse I was looking to place, and they were kind of like, "Oh, standard breds and thoroughbreds are terrible at being therapeutic horses." And I was like, "Do you know standard breds? Because like for the most part, they're not your typical race horse. Like they're pretty mild mannered." And I had a friend who donated one, and he's the favorite of the program. So yeah. I would totally disagree with that. I think standardbreds and thoroughbreds, especially with a racing background, can make some of the best therapeutic candidates. They have yeah. been there, have done it, they have seen it all. They are not phased by a random splash of water from a hose to the face, you know, like they right. can tolerate whatever is coming up uh, so well. So, no, I think that they're <laughs> incredible uh, for therapeutic riding. It's, it's more just how many miles do they have under their belt? Are they serviceably sound? Yeah. Are they gated? I mean, sometimes a gated horse would be an awesome addition to a therapeutic riding program. Yeah. You know? So it totally, it totally depends on on what the niche of that program is. Yeah, I would think the movement of a standard bread would definitely be beneficial to certain riders. 
Yes, if they sure. pace, like the pace, because it's different, but it, it's fairly smooth. It's a fairly smooth gait. I've ridden quite a few standard breads, and you know, like listen, even at the trot when they're going fast, people are like, "Isn't that horrible?" And I'm like, "No, actually, it smooths right out." You know, if they're a good trotter, it smooths right out the faster they go. Yeah. Yeah, and knowing that they're likely never going to break into a canter is also a nice thing. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, okay, this game might get quick, but it's not getting into another game. Right, so, right. <laughs> you know, I, yeah, I think they're awesome. Um, and they just have great temperaments. I think standard, I mean, I personally love thoroughbreds off the track, but I've had, I think, more emotional connections with standardbreds off the track. They're just, they have a very sweet disposition. They really do. I mean, Jen's brother, Brian, used to let my kids when they were, I mean, they're little now, but when they were really little, they'd go in and sit on the standard breads. They'd hug their legs and these standard breads did not flinch. I mean, I think they're very underrated and a very underrated breed for doing anything other than racing. You know, I think people just don't realize what their value could be. Yeah, that, that, I mean, we had a standard bread as my, my family's horse when I was a toddler, um, standard bread off the track, and he was bomb-proof. He was just yeah. such a joy to work around. So, yeah, I think they're they're great. Great. Thanks for the shout-out, standard bread. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, thank you, Andy. I think we're going to wrap up. But I do have one question for you since we always – to our happy hacks, we were wondering if you had any happy hacks you'd like to share with the listeners. Yes. So I would say my mind was blown when I was probably in my early 30s after hunting countless hours for scissors and tack rooms. I think uh, learning that you can use a piece of bailing twine to seesaw against bailing twine and break it open in a second, it would probably be my best time saver in the barn for sure. Yeah, totally. When you find that out, mind blown. Yeah. Mind. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have, like, carried a knife on me and lost it amongst bales of hay how many times to then find that you can just use bailing twice. It's incredible. Yeah, it's so aggravating when there's a hook for the scissors and the scissors are never on the hook. Never. They're <laughs> never on the hook. Ever. The bailing twine will be tied to something with scissors and they're cut right off it. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's so true. Yeah. <laughs> the bailing twine's just hanging there. Yeah. No scissors. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, thank you, Annie, for coming on. We really, really appreciate it. Um, I guess I'll put a link on our Instagram to Horseability as well as to some of the other um, like path, path websites so that if anyone wants to learn more about uh, therapeutic centers, hippotherapy, anything in that realm, or if they'd like to donate, whether it be to Horseability or to their local nonprofit, I'll, I'll add some of those links for, for the listeners. Yeah, and I think one last thing just to touch, too, on what you're saying with, you know, horses that are being donated that are lame, there is a market for that still in the equine-assisted ground program. So, you know, like Gala, as Janet mentioned, or the PATH, specialist mental health learning program you can totally still use a horse that is not sound to ride in a ground program and that is becoming like it's taking the world by storm lately with mental health and mental health health awareness so there's a place for every horse uh it's just figuring out 
where they can be best utilized. That fits their, their personality. That's good to know too. And I think as, you know, I think the U.S. here, for the most part, we're kind of anti-slaughter, I would say. And it's nice to know that there are outlets for these horses to have a job because I feel like horses should have a job. It could also save their life. Gives them a job, gives them a purpose, is also helping us humans. Um, I think it's a good eye-opener for those who may not know about these programs and know that they exist. Yeah, and they can be recreational and respite. You know, you can have a mental health practitioner as a part of that team, or you can have it just be a fun recreational experience to do ground work. So it's so introspective. Like you guys know, horses are mirrors, you know, whatever yeah. you're bringing, yeah. they're bringing back to you. And so there's, there's still such a great use for horses, even when they aren't uh, fit for riding any longer. Yeah, that's great information and great for us all to, to think about for ourselves too. Yeah. When I you're know, out. Exactly. Yeah, we try to, I mean, horse ability retires their horses. Um, once we finish working, we work with a few different places where we retire them. But it's nice for those that are really independent or really dependent on a lot of human interaction to be able to have a continued job in a different way that doesn't involve riding. Totally agree. Especially a lot of these show horses that have moved down, maybe they've entered your program. They're used to lots of attention and being groomed and being loved on. And I, I honestly think it's a shock for some of these horses that get retired. I think some of them enjoy it. And I think there's a whole lot that are like, I'm done. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, yeah. I have a standard right now. He's 19 and he doesn't want to retire. He does not. He is miserable when he's not in work doing something. Yeah. Yeah. And, and even the ground program, there's still a lot of restrictions on how often they should be working. Like it is emotionally, it's still a toll, you know, on the horse to be involved in that. Some of them absolutely love it, but it's still a job. So we, you know, are mindful of what we're putting them through and what we're asking of them to participate in ground programming. But it's incredible. And some of them just rise to the occasion. You could have a horse that you know inside and out to be the most, you know, reserved or nervous or whatever, and they show up so differently in those settings. It's so cool to watch. It's good information. Oh, I wanted to add one more thing, too. If someone is um, looking for your services, how is it best to reach you? Yeah, so my website will be launching. Uh, I had to make some extra tweaks, so it should be launching this week. But um, Annie at carriageconsulting.org uh, is the best way to reach out to me via email. And I work with therapeutic riding facilities predominantly, but any type of equine facilitated program. So we do, I focus on restructuring the organizational chart, you know, working with what you have, I think is important. So if you are struggling with fundraising, if you're struggling with finding volunteers um, or adapting your program catalog to what's sort of needed in your area, um, just sort of doing a refresh and a cleanup of, of different programs, assessing what's going on and, you know, tweaking things to make it work better for you and more efficient and more financially lucrative. I think, I mean, there's so many businesses that, whether they're horse businesses or not, need to be more efficient. So I think that's a fantastic service that you're offering. And when your website is live, um, do you have your domain? What's your website going to be? Yes, it's uh, carriageconsulting.org. Okay, awesome. We will send yeah. people your way. and yeah, hope- <laughs> Make sure you guys out there donate. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, find any. And therapeutic riding facilities take in a ton of in-kind donations too. So if your horse is, you know, if you're selling a horse or – or just looking to downsize your stuff, you know, blankets, tack, all of it. So, and then a lot of times if we don't 
can't use what is donated to us, we sell it to other facilities, barns, programs, and then that money comes back towards supporting programs. So uh, I know every horse person definitely can downsize their tracking equipment at any given moment. Always. Or we we increase it that we... (laughs) Jen and I were just at the tax store 10 minutes ago, so... (laughs) <laughs> I need to like do the when you buy something you get rid of something. Yes. Not only in my closet but in my tack. <laughs> I know. And we have like a pre vocational training program of some of our twenty one plus uh, participants with special needs that help us work with that. So they run a tack shop at a course ability. Um oh, they awesome. They they, you know, clean up the blanket. So it's like such an amazing purpose in so many different ways full circle to be able to get rid of some old stuff that you might not be using like gives job opportunity and training and supports the program and the horses so it's really great well i can honestly say having worked with horse ability from a feed rep standpoint for quite a few years now it is a fantastic program um they take such good care of their horses and uh it's really it's really something to be seen if you're out on long island or you know if you have your local therapeutic center Call them, see if you're, if they're accepting people to come visit or when COVID's over, which hopefully will be soon, go visit your local therapeutic riding center and see what they do. Yes, for sure. It's a great resource. It's a great resource for the community, really, for everyone. It is. Yeah. I mean, I can't tell you the amount of friendships that our volunteers have formed with each other. We have this group of women that are hilarious, but they call themselves the mayors. And, you know, <laughs> even they would parking lot to like socially distance and just talk horse when we weren't letting them on the property yet but too funny such a community so it is it's a wonderful type of organization to be involved with especially if you're a horse lover well thank you for your time annie we really really appreciate it um and hopefully we'll maybe we'll have you on again to talk about egala because that's a whole yeah whole different line there anytime i love it all yeah (laughs) anytime All right. Well, thank you. Okay. I think that wraps up today's episode. So whoever needs to hear this, go ride your horse.